We're back in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, today. And so while you're turning there, uh, I just want to encourage you and remind you um, one reason we go through books of the Bible and encourage you to be studying on your own is that oftentimes the stuff that we talk about in sermons help you as you go back and reread this on your own later on, maybe even years down the road, that maybe some things will trigger in your mind. You remember the truths. And I encourage you to get a study Bible. If you don't have a study Bible, get a study Bible with notes in it that can help you as you read and maybe you come across something you're not sure of. And it's just a really quick reference where you don't have to go and Google or look something up or buy a commentary, but oftentimes a good study Bible like the MacArthur Study Bible, ESV Study Bible, uh, those are great Bibles that you can get in order to just enhance your time of reading. And so I I hope you'll do that uh, because as we go through these books of the Bible, there's so much truth here and we want to remember as much as we can, but more importantly, we want it to impact our hearts. So we're in chapter 8, and we're verses 14 through 21. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 14 through 21. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they begin discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They answered him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that gives us truth, that gives us, God, a revelation of who you are and what you're like. And God, we thank you for giving us everything that we needed in your word and through the church and our relationships in order to allow your word to become real and true in our lives as we talk so much about today just allowing your truth just to become real in whatever situation that we find ourselves we pray in Jesus name amen well if you remember last week Jesus had just fed 4,000 people and this was his second feeding he had fed the 5,000 he fed the 4,000 now the disciples were in the boat with Jesus they were crossing the Sea of Galilee very interesting that that it notes in verse 14 14, that they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf of bread with them in the boat. One loaf of bread with them in the boat. And you would think that this would not be such a dilemma for them, right? And maybe a little bit of insight in this passage. One reason maybe they were panicking a bit, possibly, was because they were sailing across the Sea of Galilee into a Gentile area. And so there may have been a very good chance that they would not be able to get additional food that wasn't purified or clean for them to eat as Jewish people. So a possibility because you think, well, really, can they not survive until they get the other side? The Sea of Galilee is really not that big. So there could be more going on here than what we see, the obvious. But regardless, it seems funny to me that forgetting the bread, while that was an oversight, was not really that big a deal seeing what Jesus just did, right? Forgetting who was in the boat with them. That was the biggest tragedy, the biggest mistake that they were making here. And, you know, it's interesting as we read through the Gospels how that 
the disciples just seem so dull sometimes. They just so, seem so ignorant uh, about things. You know, Jesus had just do, done this incredible miracle, and he's done multiple miracles. He's cast out demons. He's done all these incredible things, which, by the way, was not the norm, okay, any more then than it is now. This, this stuff would have made a huge impact and in, in impression on them, you would think. But yet they quickly forget because they don't really reflect spiritually on what's going on here. The, and the Gospels over and over again bring out this lack of spiritual perception that was in the disciples' minds and hearts. They just lacked perception of issues. And, you know, and that's one thing I love about the Gospels, that there, there's no sugarcoating the situations. The Bible is just brutally honest. And just a reminder, we've said this many times, but Mark is the scribe. He's writing this stuff down. More than likely, this is the accounts of the Apostle Peter. And Peter is more than likely preaching sermons, and Mark is taking this stuff down because he knows how important it is to remember and keep and have a record. But don't forget the fact that the Holy Spirit superintends this process. The Holy Spirit breathes into these writers, these authors of Scripture, what exactly it is that God wanted us to know and what he wanted us to record. And what's great about this, it's the good, it's the bad, and it is the ugly oftentimes. It's, and, and so as Peter's telling these events, how they happened, it's so interesting because, again, during that time period, people just did not tell the, the, like they do maybe today where the, the mistakes they make and make themselves look like the goat rather than the hero. Uh, during most literature of that time, people were... were very unlikely to paint themselves in a bad light when they were authoring and putting something together. But the Bible is just a brutally honest book, and it's honest about the, the character flaws of the main people that are in the stories, including the authors of the account. And this is interesting because, you know why this is, the key, this is so key for us? Because men are not the heroes of the Bible. God is the hero of the Bible. God is the hero of the Bible. And what's beautiful is Scripture shows us how God can come in and he can take weak, flawed people and he can use us in amazing ways. And so the Bible shows how God works through the weaknesses of those he created to accomplish his plan and his purposes. Isn't that a great thing, right? I mean, it's, it's an awesome thing, right? Because when you really understand, as Paul Tripp pointed out in the marriage video, really how much baggage and sin and stuff you bring into not just your marriage, but every relationship and every situation, then it's great to know that God is redeeming, if you're a believer, God is redeeming your weaknesses for his glory and your good. And he's working in you. And so that's a huge encouragement. And so Jesus, he's not concerned about the bread situation here at all. In fact, it's great that Jesus, he takes this and just uses it as a very visual teaching opportunity for the disciples. He, he, they're talking about this loaf of bread. We only got this one loaf. And then Jesus uses a visual aid to teach them pretty much a one-word parable here, the word leaven. And so he takes this frustrating situation for the disciples and he turns it into a very teachable moment for them. Parents, you ever do that, right? Something bad happens. I wish I had more of that in me. Most of the time when a bad situation or frustration happens in my life, you know, I'm the one that's going, you know, steam is coming off my head and smoke out my ears. And I'm not really thinking too clearly in the situation like, okay, how can I teach you better 
how to handle this in the future or how we can see God's work and in the situation. But as parents, what great opportunities we have to do that, right? We can take just normal, mundane things and teach great spiritual truths to point our kids to Jesus and point them to God's purposes in this world. So Jesus does this. He, he points them to a bigger thing, and he says in verse 15, he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisee and the leaven of Herod. Okay, This is, is really the point of everything that happens in this passage. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. And when I do, I'm going to come back and I'm going to just uh, start a little illustration here, which, by the way, I could have really went much more like aggressive on this, but it could have ended up in a huge mess. But I want to just show you the power of leaven, the power of yeast for a second, okay? And I don't know whether this is going to work as good as I think it might, possibly under the right conditions. I left out some of the ingredients so that it would not um, explode the way that it easily could have. And you may have seen this if you've done this pro- science project at school. Um, and, but I've got yeast and water in here, and I'm just going to pour it into this container, and we're just going to leave this for a while and see what happens to it, all right? So we're going to come back to this, th- this in a few minutes when we're going to talk about this verse, but I want to come back to this main point that Jesus is making at the end, but for now, we'll just let that be a visual illustration, and I actually may put the lid on that thing, all right? So, and if, if, if y'all keep an eye on it, all right? If it really starts to get, like, full and and start to expand, let me know, all right? I'll have uh, one of you dart out the door with it, okay? All right, so he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So he, he takes this situation, and he takes something as simple as a loaf of bread and some yeast, and he makes a spiritual point. But look what the disciples uh, do. Again, very dense, verse 16. And, and they begin just discussing with one another the fact that they, have, they had no bread. And so Jesus says, okay, you only got that loaf. Okay, let me teach you a lesson here. Let me show you a lesson. Watch out for the yeast, uh, the yeast of, of the Pharisees. Watch out for the leaven of Herod. And what do they do? Their mind immediately goes back to the bread again. What do they hear? They hear, okay, Jesus is talking about leaven. He must be referring to this, this bread that we have in front of us. Maybe he's saying um, that we shouldn't buy any bread from the Pharisees or from Herod. That didn't sound good. Um, uh, or from Herod. Because something weird about the yeast that they're using, all right? I, I think we're getting the point of this, actually. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this. I, I'm gonna, come here, Trent, real quick. Come here. No, no, no. It's not going anywhere. Come here, come here, come here, come here. Throw it out that door out there on the side, okay? I'm afraid it's going to blow up. We got the point on that illustration. There's a door over there. Just throw it outside, and I'll get it afterwards, all right? And so their minds are still stuck into the mundane, all right? All they can think is the lack of bread. They don't have enough bread. And, uh, you know, this is not something that Jesus is worried about. And so look how, how he responds in verse 17. And Jesus, aware of this, what's this? Aware of that they're discussing the bread situation again. He asks him, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? All right? So he's just taught them this lesson. And they keep coming back to the bread. And like, okay, don't buy leaven from the Pharisees. Don't buy bread from uh, the, the Herodians, the people who, who follow Herod, uh, all right, that's what we should probably not do. And Jesus all along is saying, get the point, get the lesson. And then he follows with just like just some serious questions for them. I mean, just boom, 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 lots of questions. Parents, you ever do that to your kids, right? My dad used to always say this to me when I did dumb stuff, which was quite often. He, he would say, okay, son, what were you thinking? 
right? Anybody ever said that one or you had that said to you? Son, what were you thinking when you did that? All right, what, what were you thinking, boy, he would say. And it's still to this day, no, this is no joke, still to this day, my dad will, one situation that happened when I was in the 10th grade, he'll still ask me, what were you thinking back then? All right, it, the, the situation, we were in a soccer game, and it was actually our conference championship. There was 30 seconds left in the game. We were up 3-1. to one. There was no chance we were losing that game whatsoever. And the ball was rolling between me and an opposing player. And, all right, again, how smart I am. Okay, years later, my dad's still reminding me of this. And I thought, I'm going to take this ball out and this guy out at the same time. I'm just going to emphatically put an explanation on the point that we won the, the conference championship. I'm just making a statement here. And so I kicked the ball as hard as I could, hoping to take the ball and go through the sky and just end in this great moment where this guy is on the ground. But it turned out to be the other way. I ended up in the ground with a broken foot. And I had to miss the next two playoff games and barely could make it through the third game because of something stupid, all right? And my dad still says, what were you thinking? 30 seconds left. My coach still to this day, who's a pastor down in Deltona, he'll say, what were you thinking in that situation? But Jesus, he's not doing these things to shame his disciples. He's using it as a teachable moment. But let's just look at the questions that Jesus rattles off here. He says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Um, do you not perceive or understand? Sadly, no. Are your hearts hardened? Sadly, yes. Having eyes, do you not see? I guess not. Having ears, do you not hear? What was that, Jesus? What did you say? Do you not remember? Apparently not. Verse 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you take up? Um, Twelve, yeah. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said seven. And he said to them again, do you not yet understand? And they were thinking, apparently not. We don't, we don't get it. And so all these questions, Jesus was telling them, that they lacked spiritual understanding, and he says due to the hardness of their hearts. Due to the hardness of their hearts. Not hardened like the Pharisees, this is important, not hardened like the Pharisees who had no use for Jesus whatsoever because the disciples loved Jesus. They knew that at some level that Jesus was special. Not yet fully come to the conclusion of who he was as the Messiah. We'll see that in a few verses later, next week or the week after. But... Their hearts were hardened. I think there's a great truth for us here. Repeated exposure to his teaching, when not reflected upon and acted upon, worked to make, worked to make them insensitive and dull to the truth. So for the disciples, re- repeated exposure to his teaching, when not reflected upon or acted upon, worked to make them insensitive and dull to the truth. And that's a great truth for us today. Because how many of us sit through service after service, teaching after teaching? My word, we can turn on the radio, we can turn on Sirius FM, we can turn on the internet, we get sermons everywhere we turn. We can fill our minds with more and more truths. Like I said, we have study Bibles, we have commentaries, we have sites that just explain everything to us in the original languages. Yet, we still oftentimes continue in our dull and ignorant ways, in our 
just ignorance. Why is that? Why is that? Maybe this is not a word we use too often anymore, but there's a word that was, used to be used more often back in the 1800s, the word appropriating. They're not appropriating what they were seeing and hearing. Appropriating, that means taking something and using it as my own. Taking something and using it, applying it as my own. Taking it for my own purpose. Not gaining something just to have more up here mentally, but I'm taking it in so I can apply it and use it for its purpose. It's kind of like if you had a cell phone here today, You don't see it, but all around us, there's all kinds of signals flying through the air, right? And all you have to do is turn your power your phone on or open it up, unlock it, and then you can begin having a conversation. But what if you're walking around with a dead battery? Your battery's dead. You're not having any conversation. You're not able to take all this that's available to you and use it in any sort of way that can help you in any way. And that's what we do, and that's what the disciples did. It's all there, all the resources, everything they needed, yet they wouldn't appropriate it. They wouldn't apply it. They wouldn't take it in and own it for themselves. They had everything they needed. They weren't, Jesus didn't pick extra stupid people, right? I mean, they're dull, but but think ultimately what they're going to do. They're going to turn the world upside down. Turn the world upside down. So these people are no more ignorant than we are. They're just not taking it and appropriating it. They're not saying, this is stuff I need. And, and here's the thing with anything in life, anything in life. If I gave you a five-minute lecture this morning with visuals on how to change a flat tire, you probably would be much more interested in that illustration if when you pulled up this morning and you started to walk into church and you looked down and you said, oh, man, flat tire, flat tire. What would you do? You'd be like, oh, man, he knew exactly what I needed today, all right? I need to know how to do that. I need to know where the jack is, where the spare is at. I need to know how to utilize it on my car. But when we just hear truth, we hear the word, but we disconnect it from real life, real living, real situations, our family, our marriage, our parenting, our people that we work with at the office. And our mindset is, I'm going to compartmentalize my spiritual life my church life, from the rest of my life. And sometimes it's not intentional. I mean, the disciples, it wasn't something they set out intentionally to do, to disconnect it. There was just this massive disconnect in their lives, and I would dare say that it exists in my life and your life a lot more than we would be willing to admit or even be want to be aware of. And Mitch took one of the verses that I was actually going to share. I think, I think he did when he was reading this morning, um, not to be anxious about anything. Think about that. They'd heard that being taught before. Think about Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus taught, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Jesus taught that. They should have known that, and not just known it. They should have seen Jesus in action many, many times. And they could have rested and said, Yeah, we only have one loaf, and we're headed over to a Gentile area, and chances are we probably won't have access. But, you know, we're here with the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the guy who can just produce bread from nothing. Nothing to worry about. 
we're seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness, he'll take care of that stuff. He, he, he won't make us starve to death. Why didn't they do that? The same goes for us. Think about passages like Ephesians chapter 1, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has blessed us. Those who are in Christ, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Yet, listen to so many Christians' prayer. God, bless me this day. Bless us. Bless us, bless us, bless us. And God says, I've given you every blessing you need in Jesus Christ. And what do we do? We walk around like we don't have the resources to be victorious in our life. We act like that God hasn't given us enough. And God says, I've given you everything you need in Christ. I've given you everything you need to deal with the struggles of your life. I've given you the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. There's now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no need to live under the guilt and the oppression of sin any longer. We're eternally secure in Christ. We can let go of fear. We're dead to sin, Scripture says. We're dead to it. Reckon yourself to be dead to sin, alive to God. Yet we walk around and we have a joyless Christian life oftentimes because, one, we may not be really reading or comprehending the resources that God has given to us. We're not investing in it. We don't know them. And then the second one, we're just not applying those. We're not by faith believing in that. And this isn't some kind of Jedi, you know, mind scheme to convince yourself that something is right when it's wrong or bad when it's good. This is not a denial of reality whatsoever, okay? Life is tough. It's terrible. You've seen Pray for Cloud all over town. I mean, how devastating it is that a little boy could be having such a serious cancer. And just looking around this room, I mean, I could name just every family and something terrible that's happened in your life probably over the last couple years. Look, we're not denying reality, but we're saying Jesus is bigger, he's greater, and he's got a bigger purpose for us. And he wants to redeem those trials for his glory, for his purposes. So God has given us all the resources we need to live a life of holiness, faith, and joy. Yet we live like this lady over in India. Came across this when I was just looking for an illustration. A lady who was a beggar on the streets of Lebanon, and she knew that she had $1 million in the bank, yet she lived like a pauper. She begged for a living. And she said, I didn't want anybody. She said, one person who knew the, knew the story of it, knew how much she had, she didn't want people to know she had money and then, like, want stuff from her. So she lived this way instead of getting off the streets, buying a house, having a life. And think about that spiritually. Let that illustration sink into your mind. Are you living that way? Are you allowing life just to, to beat you down because you're not pulling from the resources God has given you to, you to you? Think about some of those things. You have God's word. You have God's revelation. Everything, like I said, everything you need about God specifically is found in this book. Yes, we have general revelation. We can look out and see the stars and see the sky and see what a great creator God that we have. 
But when you want to know specifically what God's like and what he wants from his, his creation, all we have to do is open the word and read the word and know the word. What else has he given us? He's given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inside the Christian to illuminate the word. The word and the Holy Spirit go together because we need the Holy Spirit to know, believe, and be transformed by God's divine revelation. So the Spirit, we have the Word, we have prayer. We have prayer. I'm going to stay there just for a second, and we're just going to pause here because we talk a big, big talk about prayer. But a lot of times the extent of our prayer life is quickly over a meal or when something bad goes wrong. I love what Jesus said in, in the Gospels. He said, hey, you know, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to your closet. Go to an inner room Shut the door and pray. Why? He was concerned about this self-righteous appearance that the Pharisees were giving off, but also the reality that he knows that we need to be alone with him. Because if we're not, well, I'm going to pray multitask. I'm going to pray, right? How does that work out for you most of the time, right? Your mind goes a billion different places. Go to your closet, shut the door. That wasn't like a good option. Here's a good thing for you. Go to, your, go to your room and shut the door to pray. Uh, you know, consider that. Maybe work it into your life if you feel like it. No, I mean, he said, do this. Go to your room, shut the door, and pray. And, and so my point here, of just hounding that in, is that we've been given resources that we're just not utilizing. But yet we look at our lives and we think, I just don't get it. I don't understand how I can be victor- victorious in my life. I don't understand how I can find joy in my life. You know, I, I, just, I look at other people and they seem like they have a better grasp on it. Well, maybe they are doing some of the things that Jesus said, and, and, and they're acting on the things that Jesus said to do. So read the word. Know the word. Pray. He's given you faith to believe in an unseen God, and he rewards those who seek him with a passion, with a diligence. He's giving you the church body. Probably a, a very underrated thing because of Protestants, I think we, we were so scared of that there's no salvation apart from the church kind of thing back in the, uh, the times of Luther. That, that, oh, well, you know, salvation apart from the church. I can have salvation apart from the church. I don't need the church to tell me salvation. But we run so far the other way in, like, I'm just, you know, it's just me and God. And we can work this stuff out. And maybe occasionally I need some fellowship. But that's pretty much it. I, I, I see a biblical picture of desperation for the body of Christ, dependence upon the body of Christ, the point that realizing that you cannot and I cannot function in the way that God intended without other Christians, other believers in my life. So that's why we do K-groups, to put you in a situation, not so you can check it off, done my K-group, done, that's good. But it's so that you can have relationships with other believers, really get to know other believers. And they can care for you, they can look out for you, and they can help you and keep you accountable spiritually. And to break that down, maybe your group is big and you're like, oh, man, I, you know, I can't really be open about that. A fight club, a discipleship group, get you in a group of about three, you and two other people, opportunity for you to just have relationships that are really intentionally intrusive into your life that say, okay, how are things really? No, really, how are things in your marriage right now? How did that go last week? You were going to do that. Did you, did you do that? Did you follow through on that? How about, you know, how about late at night? Are you turning the, the TV off at night? Or 
you shutting down the internet? Are you keeping your, your phone use in a public place if you're struggling with this temptation? Are you controlling your relationships where you tend to gossip and, and want to talk about other people? And you have these kind of relationships that help you and then point you to Jesus. They point you to God. They point you to truth. And then you can appropriate that truth. That's the church, the body of Christ. You have the example of Jesus, which is what we say. We, we, we live the gospel in every situation. The example of Jesus, Hebrews 12, 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider him. All right, that's maybe a novel idea. It's this idea of slowing down, considering Jesus, pondering the spiritual truths, and that's what the disciples were lacking. Here they were, busy, taking the baskets, serving, watching Jesus do the miracles, casting out demons, and here they are, we'll see, arguing about who's going to be the greatest, right? Who's going to be the greatest, Jesus? How do you miss it so bad? Because we miss it, don't we? Come on, we miss it. We get busy, we get hurried, we don't take time to consider Jesus. We don't meditate upon the gospel. And, and I'm, I'm, all, I'm such a big proponent for morning time. And I know some of you think, I am not a morning person at all. And, and look, this is not Bible here, okay? We're going to step off and just my opinion, because you can find evening while I praise and worship, in the morning while I praise and worship. But there's just something about starting your day just setting the tone and saying, God, today, I, I just, as we sang, I, I just want to experience your new morning mercies this morning. I just want to start fresh and anew today. And I want to be just aware of your activity around me. I want to know the power of Jesus. I want to consider Jesus today in every situation and circumstance. And just spending time, starting your day out, spending time with, with Jesus, being with him. So what step in that list that I just gave, do you need to take? What, what one area, maybe you can think of one of these areas where you can just hone in on and say, you know, I need to really tap into that resource better than I'm currently doing. All right, I mean, for real, think about it. I mean, do you need a more consistent time in the Word? Do you need to set up a pattern, a rhythm, where you're in the Word way more consistently than you are now, seeing God, seeing His truth, reflecting Him on it? Do you need to depend more upon the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit? Are you hurried? You read, but you just hurry through, and, and you feel like, I've done my, my duty. And you run along rather than asking the Holy Spirit, allow me to see the truth of your word today. And help me to apply this word to my life today. Prayer. The church community. Do you need to be really more connected to the church community? Do you need to consider Jesus? Slow down. Just ponder Jesus. Think about Jesus. And then just this whole, I think, overlying thing is just, just an attitude of humility. Maybe you want to call it desperation or weakness. Your weaknesses are a gift. They are. They're, they're a gift to help you run back to the Father and protect you from self-reliance and arrogance. God wants you to see your sin, and to have it exposed. Why? So you see, God, I can't do it without you. I need you in every area of my life. I need to be dependent upon you because you're greater than me. So your weaknesses and desperation cause you to do what some of us 
in some way resist doing, which is humbly run to God for his help, help that only he can give. So let's quickly go back to our imaginings here, illustration of the leaven, and we'll finish up with this. Verse 15, and he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And in Matthew's account, actually, we see, we get the advantage of seeing that they, the disciples actually did get the point by the end of it. And it tells us in, in Matthew 16, 12, it says, Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so in Matthew, it shows us that, that Jesus did make the point, they got the point that he wasn't talking about some corrupt leaven that they were pushing in bread, that he was literally talking about the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so he was warning his disciples. What was he warning them of? Think about our illustration here. What happened? When the yeast was added, just like when you add it to a loaf of bread, what happens? It began to work its way through and expands. It eventually takes over. And that's the point he's getting at. Be aware that this false teaching, these false things that the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees were putting out, these things are not just things that, you know, you can just like mindlessly like, oh, that's no big deal. It, these are serious, serious things that once they get into your life, they begin to multiply and eventually will ruin you, will, will destroy you. And, and, and specifically in this situation, the leaven of the Pharisees was probably false teaching, of course, but it's hypocrisy, spiritual pride, self-deceit. Those were some of the actual, what Jesus was probably referring to in the leaven of the Pharisees. They talk this good talk. They can say all the right things, but their hearts were far away from God. They knew all the right language, but they did not have hearts that were tuned to God. And then the leaven of Herod. The, the Herod, just kind of a quick note about Herod historically. There was a guy named Herod the Great. When he died, he had sons. He divided up this kingdom between these. But these were pretty much just governors for Rome. They were puppets for Rome. And so they controlled this area of Galilee and, and the surrounding areas. But they were basically just politicians. And, and so I think that what Jesus is getting at here, the leaven of Herod, was this idea that they focused on political power, materialism, compromise. They were very worldly focused, obviously. They were just buying into what the Romans said, and they were really denying their Jewish heritage, their Jewish roots. And they were also, as we know from Herod specifically, that he was very sexually immoral, and he just uh, allowed this, this spirit throughout this, this region just to permeate from his own leadership of just being just an awful person. And so ultimately, the, the, the issues with the, the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Herodians was ultimately unbelief in Jesus. It was, it was evilness and, and sin and, and just unbelief and, and, and the fact they rejected Jesus Christ. But the point is, it only takes a little bit of this, a little bit, in order to ruin a person. So if you're writing down, taking notes, leaven represents unbelief that is subtle, and it doesn't seem very dangerous, but left unchecked, it will spread and ultimately ruin you. Leaven represents unbelief that is subtle and doesn't seem very dangerous. But left unchecked, it will spread and will ultimately ruin you. And so when we have hard hearts, 
and we allow just even a little bit of what we might say minor stuff into our lives, we introduce a leaven that will spread and begin to take over. So let's make it personal, okay? Where are you allowing cutting corners and saying it's not that big a deal? You know, that's really not that huge of thing really in my life. Where are you being spiritually lazy? Maybe it is something like not spending time in Scripture. Because you, you, you say, I, I've learned a lot of stuff. I know a lot of stuff. And, and I can pretty much dialogue and talk to the best of them at church. And they'll be convinced that I'm in the Word often. But truthfully, I'm dying spiritually. I don't know the Word. I'm not vigilant. I'm, I'm not being um, vigilant in these areas that I should be. Or a little hypocrisy. A little bit of self-righteousness. You begin to look around and say, you know, I'm better than that person. I mean, he's, he's a leader, or she's a leader in this church, and, you know, I'm, I've got it together better than that person. And you allow a little bit of self-righteousness to, to get it into your heart, and pretty soon what's going to happen, Jesus says, left unchecked, if you don't repent of it, it's going to expand, 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 and take over your life. Or maybe it's being okay with little sins, greed, a little bit of greed, allowing a little bit of sexual thoughts to just kind of hang around in your mind, discontentment, not fighting anxiety. So many different things that we just allow into our hearts. And, you know, I say this a lot, you know, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. But instead, what we do, we let our minds just play out situations and fantasies and and, and these things that, that just run through these reels of our mind that just are so contrary to God. And God's nowhere in that film, that role that's going on in your mind. You know, I, I came to that realization that, you know what, the things that I daydream or fantasize about, those are probably the things that I truly want the most, right? So, so think about that, all right? Think about that. When you're not doing anything else, you're out fishing. What's on your mind? What are you thinking about? What are you daydreaming about? What are you scheming about? Is God in that? Maybe it is, you know, good things. I'm going to build my business bigger. But is it so you can build bigger barns? And Jesus can say, okay, one day you're going to be held accountable. That stuff's going to be gone. Or do you say, I want to build a bigger barn so I can give more to your kingdom work. I can honor you more. I can have a bigger influence for your name and your kingdom. So what, I don't know your situation, but what's your, what's your motives in these things that we dream about and, and think about? But I do one thing. If you let a little bit of sin, and, and we got to name it what it is, got a little sin kind of get in our hearts and our minds and start to just ferment there, pretty soon it will take over our lives and it will ruin our lives. It will ruin our testimony. The leaven of the Pharisees. Jesus says, don't get stuck on the mundane. Remember, there's something so much bigger than your just day-to-day life. I'm doing something incredible. I'm calling people of every tongue, tribe, and nation to myself. And you're my child. You're my follower. You're part of this plan. And you say, me? I'm weak. I sin a lot. I, you know, I struggle. And he says, you're perfect. If you'll stay humble, stay reliant upon me, seek me, 
Be with me. Trust me. Believe in my promises. And just like the disciples, you can turn your world upside down. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for just this honest picture of the disciples and how that it just brings out the, the, the honesty of our own hearts and lives and how that we are not near as strong as we pretend to be and that we don't have it together near as much as other people think we might. And God, may that just be a reminder just to stay desperate for you, desperate for the Holy Spirit to work through us and in us, desperate to be in your word and just marinating upon your truth and allowing it to get in our hearts, considering you in situations that we go through that you went through so much more than what we went through, yet without sin. And God, help us just during this this journey that we're on, that is sanctification, becoming more like you, that God, that we will trust you and rest in you and know that you are working all things for the good of those who love you. And you who began a good work in us will complete it. And God, we rest in those promises that you are doing what you said you would do and help us to get onto the program, help us to rely upon your resources. In Jesus' name, amen.